don't work out. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be some in the pews in front of you if you'd like to turn there. Um, if you're kind of new to the whole thing altogether, uh, Galatians is in the New Testament. So you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then after that, you've got these other uh, letters that, that, that have, have been written there. And so it's in that section. In the front of your Bible uh, is a table of contents too. So if you're totally unfamiliar with it, that's okay. There's a table of contents in there. You can find what page that is on the Pew Bible. And so I would encourage you to follow along if you would like to. Uh, but that's the section we're going to be over today. Uh, and so before we jump into the text, I want to paint a couple pictures for you to have in your mind. The first is uh, the idea of a, of a marching band. There's something beautiful, in a sense, uh, about a group of people who are, who are so lockstep in something like that that they're able to really perform well. Perhaps you have seen something like uh, on a Super Bowl, or this is not a great time for questions, but if you want to talk to me afterwards, man, we can do that. I was just going to say, uh, when people, um, when, when there's a band, okay, so yeah. it's the residents and the frequency. So people can actually bring their own spirits up. Great. So when we talk about marching bands, or we talk about people being in lockstep like that, when I was in the military, we had to march, and there were some guys who couldn't bring their residents up, or they couldn't keep a beat. I don't know what the problem was, uh, but they were doing left, right, left, right, and they were doing, you know, half step, forward, march, or whatever kind of stuff that they were doing. Or you've seen it during Super Bowls or things like that, or like big games where you've seen people who are, who are uh, you, you know, marching, and they'll, they'll make these They'll make these images out on the field just with their bodies. They, they kind of morph and they, they bleed into one another and they do this kind of thing. And there's something beautiful about when people are in step, that unity and that solidarity, all right? So that's one image I want you to have in your mind. The second image I want you to have in your mind is, did you know that there's a new movie that came out called the Mario movie? <laughs> so knowing me, you would know that, you know, he's probably going to bring this up sometime. So there's this new movie, Mario movie. And uh, so just so you know, if you're planning on seeing this movie and you haven't seen it yet, this is a spoiler alert. Okay, so plug your ears for just a minute, I guess. But, but there are some things you, we probably all know about the world of Mario, right? So there's these blocks, and you can hit the blocks, and you get these different power-ups. Well, there's one power that is beyond all other powers, and, it's, and I'm sure you have an opinion on this, but it's really not up for a debate because the makers of the game made it the star power. Star power makes you absolutely invincible, right? And so in the Mario movie, there's actually a time where they, they have this, this star and it gives them that same kind of star power that makes them absolutely invincible, right? And so, so these two images I want you to kind of keep in your mind. One is the beauty when people are in step with one another and how much they can accomplish and what that looks like. And the second thing is Mario's, if you have that power, this invincibility of superstar power, right? Now, you might be asking, Pastor, that's great. Thanks for that. What in the world does that have to do with the Bible this morning or this text that we're going to look at? I'm glad you asked that question. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in, okay? God, you are good, and your ways are pure and right. Lord, we confess that we are guilty before you of many works of the flesh. But we thank you for your Son, who took in his own flesh the punishment we deserve, and by his sacrifice bought for us the freedom that we have. Fathers, we look into Galatians again this morning and courage and strengthen us. For this present evil age is often drudgery to us. We are often afflicted by principalities and powers, and even while we are new creations in you, 
our own sinful flesh yet abides in us. And so uh, we ask that you would help us to experience victory over sin, not only in Christ, ultimately in the time to come, but today as we live each day in yielding to your spirit. Teach us how to do that anew, we pray. Amen. So in Galatians, before where we're at today, Galatians 5, 16 through 26, where we'll be today. But before that, in verse 1 of this, which we covered last week in some depth, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Okay? And then the next verse, I I think is on here, is 13. uh, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So the question is... What is the secret to living out our freedom of Christ? Because this is what, don't submit again to the slavery. Uh, Christ has set you free, stand firm them. And, and it's not uh, to be used for an opportunity of the flesh. So how do we do that? How do we practice and maintain this freedom? Well, Paul is going to answer that. Uh, he's going to give us three, what, what I'm going to call main points. So if you're a note, note taker, uh, this is the first of what I would say are the main points of what he's talking about. It's very straightforward. Walk by the Spirit, right? Uh, this is what he says. He starts it out with, but I say. Okay, and so we have to remember the previous thing. He's talking about the Judaizers. He's talking about Jesus plus the law, plus circumcision, plus those other things, right? Keep all those other things. He says, no, no, no. Here, here's the thing. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, this word walk here, I don't do this often, but it matters for today's text, so I want to take just a little bit of time and talk about the grammar and the Greek of it, okay? I know for some of you, you're thinking grammar and Greek. I didn't sign up for that. Who, who wants to do that? Uh, but, well, uh, I, 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 it's important. So, this idea, walk by the Spirit, is a verb in the present active imperative tense. Now, what does all that mean? You know, I didn't know either. I had to look it up, and and I I went to school for a long time to figure it out. And even now, sometimes I still have to look it up because I get things confused. So I'm 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 gonna help you out, just like I needed help. A verb is pretty easy, right? It's an action word. We know that that's an action word. Present means this. It's an action in process or a state of being and the author, the writer, as they choose this particular word, as he, as he choose this word for walk here, it's no assessment of the action actually being completed, which means it's a present ongoing action, okay? Second thing, or third thing, it's active, which means the subject, which would be me, which would be you, right? Because he says, Paul says, Paul says to, to, to y'all, basically the Galatians, Paul saying to y'all, walk in the Spirit. So he's talking to us too. So this is an action verb that we're to be doing in the present. That is, a, a, we are taking part in actively pursuing it. The subject is performing the action in a state or described by it. And then it's an imperative. An imperative means a command or uh, an, a, a request. And so what Paul is saying here is, But I say, y'all must every day continuously be putting on the practice of walking in the Spirit, an actively pursuit of what this is, okay? So I hope that brings some clarity here, and maybe maybe you're leagues ahead of me, and you're like, yeah, that was clear to me when it said walk by the Spirit. Well, well, good. I'm glad that I could only bring that to bear a little bit more. And But the other thing you need to know is this imperative is not necessarily a reality. It is the possibility of the reality. So that's why it's important we cover this, because all of us, if we are in Christ, we have the possibility of the reality of walking in the Spirit, but we also have the possibility of not walking in the Spirit. And so Paul is telling this, every single day, 
we must be making this choice. You've heard the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? Well, a, a farmer told me, yes, but you can salt their oats. And so what I'm hoping to do this morning is I can't make you walk by the Spirit, but what I can do is hopefully salt your heart in this area enough where we all desire to then drink from the living water, which is Christ, right? To walk by the Spirit. And so, yes, uh, we, can't, we can lead a horse to water. We can't make them drink, but the good shepherd is a good leader. He says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And he's talking here about they are walking with me. And so in, in, in essence, what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying is for us to be truly a disciple of Christ, we should be walking in the spirit on a regular basis. Now, why should we be walking in the spirit? We this maybe I hope is obvious to you too, but it's to conquer the flesh. He tells us there's two things in this text. So he says, to conquer the flesh. Now I think is verse, uh, yeah, so 17, that, that's fine. So verse 16, but I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And this is a guarantee. And this is a guarantee because the struggle is real. I don't know about you, but I've told you before, this is kind of like a, a therapy session. I know that my flesh is against my spirit. I feel it almost every single day. Verse 17 says the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There is a real struggle going on for us. There is a book called This Present Darkness. It's by Frank E. Peretti. Has anyone ever read it? This Present Darkness? Some of you have. Okay, it's, a, it's an excellent book. It is, it, it's a make-believe book. Or what's that called? Fiction. It's a, it's a fictional book, okay? But it paints a beautiful picture of what it may look like with the physical world and the spiritual world behind the scenes, if you could pull that veil back and see the spiritual world. The, what, what the book is about is this. Uh, there is a small town called Ashton, and in this small town, there's a skeptical reporter that moves into this town, and during a close time period, there's also a new pastor that moves into this town. And what they begin to do is what they begin to uncover, because the, the reporter is seeing strange things and reporting news, the pastor is being afflicted spiritually and so what they do is they begin to compare notes and they find out, and, and we, as the, we as the readers are aware of this much sooner than they are, of course, because we get the inside track. But, but there's a whole host of demonic forces that have come down upon this town, and this town is, 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 is in essence becoming the ground zero for this spiritual force to take over not only this town, but the hope is for the entire nation and then eventually the entire globe. And it's all based on this kind of new age movement that is seeking to take hold in this, sound, this, this town. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that book years ago, I thought it far less likely for it to be anything close to a true story than I do today. But what it tells us is that this struggle is real. What Paul knows is this struggle is real. The flesh against the spirit. And so in other scriptures, he gives us, like Ephesians, you know, we wrestle against not just flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic power. So there's the powers. He told us in verse 8 of chapter 5 earlier, this persuasion is not from he who calls you. Remember, and I made the assessment, it's not only from sinful human beings, but also from the demonic forces behind them. And so you have Satan, you have demons, you have these Old Testament uh, false gods that are really these demonic forces. You have New Testament demons that are inhabiting people. And in today's society, we have, we have the same kind of, kind of creatures that are out there. I call them creatures because God created them. He's the only God. But, but they're out there afflicting people today, and they just look differently. And it said we call them different things. 
There's also people. Remember what we just talked about in Galatians 5, 8. This persuasion is not from he who calls you. And then he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He's talking about those physical people. He's not talking about demonic forces, right? But then what Paul's talking about in this text is our flesh. So the struggle is real is what he's saying here. So, but I say, instead of keeping those laws, those Jewish laws, I'm telling you, walk by the Spirit. Why? And the first reason he says is so that you can conquer the flesh. He gives that promise. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And so you have to walk by the Spirit because the struggle is real. Yeah, some of you can attest to that, right? Some of you are just in denial. And that's okay, uh, because 1 John 1, 8 through 10 tells us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we all have this struggle. We are dead in our sins, and we must choose to walk moment by moment, he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And the other reason is, is so that we can remain free. So we were set free. That's what the whole first part of this was, right? And he gives all kinds of texts there. So I'm going to rapid fire them to you and you can either write them down or you can check me later or you can just remember what we've talked about. But in Galatians 3.10, it says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Oh yeah, and verse 18, the, the very next one here says, but, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So to be free from the law. So in, verse, in chapter 3.10, he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Same chapter, 3, verse 22, The scripture imprisoned everything under the law. Same chapter, verse 25, We are no longer under a guardian. Do you remember us talking about that? Where when we are young, we're as if a slave, even though we have the other inheritance, because we are being subjugated by another who's in authority over us. And this law was scriptural's, uh, scripture's authority over us until... Christ came, uh, Galatians 4, 2 through 3. We are under guardians and managers in the same way we also were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And then it goes on in 4 through 5. But in the fullness of time, right, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under that same law, under that same bondage, to redeem, to purchase, to free those who are under the law. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then Paul, who I believe is the author of Romans, Romans 6, 14 through 15, for sin will have no dominion over you, he says, since you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. So how do we practice and maintain this freedom? I'm glad you asked. That's my question too. The answer to that is walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And he gives us a promise, you will not gratify the flesh, and you will not be under the law. And so the first step may seem very simple, but I would argue, brother, that is hard. And so I want to ask, how do we know? So I tell you, Paul tells you, you you, you want to be in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. How do I know if I'm walking by the Spirit? And then the next section he's going to go is he's going to say, the evidence should be evident. In essence, we can evaluate the evidence. That was baby for amen. (laughs) So we can look at our lives. We can look at the lives of those around us. Now, here's where this this sticky statement comes in. Only God can judge me. And the answer is yes, absolutely. Only God will be the finally one to judge you and your soul and either send you to hell or admit you into heaven. And that's true. 
But there is a vast difference between judgment and discernment. And the Bible commands us as Christians to be discerning. And it is foolish if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and plays in the water and has webbed feet for me to call it anything other than a duck. So in the same way, Scripture tells us we need to evaluate the evidence of our own lives. And so he gives this list. This Scripture is very famous. Um, I don't have enough time to go into all the stuff with real detail. And I very well may come back at a later time and, and kind of go through this in, in greater detail as we go. But for today's message, he gives us some categories. He says, firstly, there's the works of the flesh. And he gives us this list. Now, I have a professor named Thomas Schreiner, who was a professor when I was in seminary. This is his statement about this text. He says, identifying the works of the flesh does not determine extraordinary spiritual discernment. What he means by that is, duh, okay? Uh, that's the PhD version of what I just said. And, and so as we're going to look at this, you should be able to tell, like, yeah, these things are obviously works of the flesh. And here's the list. He says, now the works of the flesh, and he tells us what they are. And then there's other scriptures that have a similar list. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then he gives the blanket and things like these and he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And brother or sister or even friend, if you're not a brother or sister in Christ yet, I'm here to tell you that is not my judgment. I didn't write this, but it is true, and it is a warning that we ought to heed. So this is how you break this up. You don't have this in your notes, but this is how I broke this up. These sins are one, two, three, four. There's four categories basically for these sins and they kind of fit within that. So if you're a note taker and you want to write that down, that's great. Uh, if not, you're not going to hurt my feelings any. I didn't put it in the notes. So, but the sins are four categories and they basically break down into sexual sins, spiritual sins, societal sins. I couldn't think of another S, but it kind of works. Uh, celebratory, because when you say it, it sounds like an S, so whatever. So there's, uh, so there's sexual, spiritual, social, and celebratory sins, and then there's the warning at the end, okay? And so how this works out, you have the sexual sins, immorality, impurity, sensuality, and I just, just blanketly, any sexual practice outside monogamous, heterosexual marriage falls into these categories in some degree. That's just how it is. This is also, if you look at this, this is a progressive scale. It begins with immorality and then moves on to impurity and then moves on to sensuality. And the sensuality would be the, the, the full-blown engagement of these things, right? So pornography, masturbation, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, any other sexual sin is characterized here. By the way, none of these things are new. We seem to think, we, we are in a, we, man, well, we seem to think that we invented all these things, and, 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 and we seem to think that this is new to, like, our century. It's not at all. In fact, you may not have known this, because I didn't know this. I learned this as I was reading through and studying through this, so I want to share it with you. Um, this is in Exploring Galatians, an expository commentator, uh, 
I don't know who wrote it because I didn't, I didn't write his name down, but Exploring Galatians and Expository Commentary is the name of the, the book that I'm... So here's what it says. So we're familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a famous Bible story, right? Well, I don't know if you knew this or not. In Greco-Roman world of Paul's day, casual and promiscuous sex was as common as it is today. People thought nothing of it. In fact, are you familiar with uh, the Corinthian church? Okay, well, read through that, and there's some, some issues in that church as it is. But I don't know if you knew this part. I didn't. So uh, in particular at Corinth, immorality was so widely practiced that the name of the city actually became synonymous for that vice. And to Corinthianize was basically to practice debauchery. Kind of the idea of, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Everybody kind of knows that idea, right? So whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, and it's kind of just free for all. And so back then in Paul's day, they actually had all of these categories that we think we've had today. Spiritual sins. Then you have these other two, idolatry and sorcery. Now, these are spiritual sins, in my opinion, because they're failure to recognize and submit to and worship God as God, which is really, truly, the essence of all sin throughout all of Scripture, even back to the Garden of Eden, right? But you have idolatry and sorcery. This is failure to recognize and worship God as he is, and rather, instead, manipulate the world around us by our own powers for our own choice. And so this word pharmakia is where we get pharmacy from. I'm not trying to tie anything there. I've got no political agenda here. I'm just telling you the Greek. But in my mind, it has this idea of drug use and abuse, right? Which is very often together with witchcraft. And as somebody who used to be engaged in drug use and abuse, I can tell you, for example, you can see things, you can hear things that aren't really happening, or are they, right? Uh, you can experience things that aren't really true, or are they, right? Because of the whole spiritual realm that's behind that. And so this word pharmakia, where we get drugs from, drug use and abuse, witchcraft, tarot card reading, uh, horoscopes, palm reading, Ouija boards, all those kind of things, but then also is idolatry. Now, we tend to think idolatry is the little guy who's carved up on the mantelpiece of somebody in Asia or something like that. But brother or sister, do we not have on our money in God we trust? And how many people carry that around and trust more in that bill than they do on the God that is represented on it? And so there's all kinds of idolatry. Some is science, knowledge, education. Uh, from the same commentary, he, he says this, humanism, communism, rationalism are all forms and kinds of idolatry. All of them are works of the flesh. All of them dethrone God and enthrone man because they all say, hey, we've got this figured out. You've got to do it this way. Social sins. There's eight different words here describing all this kind of stuff, uh, this, this discord between people. Enmity, strife, jealousy was actually the word for being zealous. Remember, Paul was talking about that earlier, be zealous for something that's good. This is obviously zealous for something's bad. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, which is this word where we get dichotomy, things that are opposed to one another, divisions. This is actually, if you transliterate it, it's the word for heresy. This is why we have so many different denominations. This is why Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and other, thing, other cults like that exist out there. And then there's envy is the last one there. Um, and then celebratory sins, drunkenness, and revelry. Now, in our scripture, in the ESV version, it has orgies. You probably think of something different than what he means maybe in there, and that's because of our society and just different things that have come in. But it's, it's basically, if you've ever been to a frat party, or if you're of the right age and you ever have seen the movie Animal House, same kind of idea, okay? Just complete drunken uh, revelry. 
I remember the first time I ever went to a Christian party. I didn't know what that was uh, because I was, I was saved out of a lifestyle where like drunken revelry, that's, that's how you partied. And I remember going, I got saved and they said, hey, do you want to come to a party? And maybe they didn't call it a party, but I called it a party because that's just what you do. You just party. When you get together, it's a party. And so I went to that thing and I was like, what are you guys going to do? Like, what do, you, what do you do here? I don't understand. And it was great. We had somebody cooked a crock pot of chili. So I had chili. Somebody brought a bunch of ice cream. We had ice cream sundaes. And then we played board games. And I'd never, I don't think in my life played a board game up to this point. I know that's kind of sad for you, but you, you'll get over it. But anyway, and I remember afterwards thinking like, this is great. And I have no guilt about what I've done tonight. And I'm going to remember everything. So like, this is wonderful. But the warning that he gives to us at the end is this, I warn you as I warned you before. Listen, doing the works of the flesh cannot be dismissed as inconsequential. Paul tells us that if we continue to do these things, now, if you, you who do such things, it doesn't mean a one-time thing and, and, and that's it. It doesn't mean, hey, you, it, you ought to know by now, but if you don't, listen, Scripture does not teach that we're all spotless and clean. It teaches the very opposite, okay? So, what I don't want you to understand is, hey, you're spotless and clean, you screw up one time, and you're out, and, and then that's it. That's not the kind of God we serve. We're already filthy and dirty, and Jesus cleanses us. And so what he's talking about here is making a practice of these things. But I did not also, you need to hear me say, I did not just give you permission from the pulpit using the Bible to say, so it's okay, go ahead and sin sometimes, uh, because as long as it's not a habitual practice, then you're good. That's not what I'm saying either. We ought to shoot for 100% walking in the Spirit, and then sometimes we're going to stumble. Because I don't know about you, but also having seen kids walk, my own kids, my nephew, for example, sweet little guy, knocked, almost knocked his two front teeth clean out yesterday. You know why? Because he's not even one yet, I don't think, is he? He's one. He's just over one. He's not my kid. I don't have to keep track of his age. So here's the deal. But he's a, to he's, a, he's, a, he's a toddler, right? He's not sure on his feet. And so the warning is don't continue to practice these things. So it's okay, brother and sister, if we walk a little bit and we stumble and fall, and then our father picks us back up, dusts us off, and continues on, and we ought to keep going. That's the idea. But it's one thing to walk in this direction, and it's another thing to walk in this direction. It's not the same. So we can evaluate the evidence, he tells us. The next is the work of the Spirit. Now, this is the one that I want to come and spend much more time on because I believe that this is the one where we need to... We, we don't need a huge lesson on what the works of the flesh are. I, I've covered that. That's fine. But the works of the Spirit, I'd like to come back at another time and go into more depth of these. So we're going to do that probably over the next couple of weeks. And the way that he puts this is here, but the fruit of the Spirit. So again, here's a but. So those are the works of the flesh, but opposed to those, these are the things of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now this is a lovely list. I think we can split it up into three categories for here too, right? So the other one, I don't remember what that had, four categories that all kind of sounded like us. Uh, these ones and I've went back and forth between either attitudes towards, inclinations towards, characters regarding. In your notes, if you're a note taker, I settled on attitudes towards, and then later I thought maybe, I, I don't know about that. But uh, the list can be classified basically in, uh, in three, three things. Attitudes towards God, 
attitudes towards others or attitudes towards self or inclinations toward God, inclinations towards others or inclinations towards self or character regarding God, character regarding others or character regarding self. And that's probably how I'll split it up in these next couple weeks. The attitudes towards God, of course, are love, joy, and peace. And I think those kind of come in order. Uh, the attitudes towards, towards others are patience, kindness, and goodness. And then I, since there's nine of them, I bet you can guess that the attitudes towards self are, in my opinion, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, with those things, there is no law. So how do we practice and maintain this freedom? Walk by the Spirit. Pastor, how do I know if I'm walking by the Spirit? That's a great question. We can evaluate the evidence, right? And then lastly, okay, that's all fine. But I'm here to tell you, and you probably already know this, this is hard. So then the question is, be honest with me, what hope do I actually have of doing this? Because you have set, I have set, Paul, Paul has set, the Holy Spirit has set the bar really high, right? And I don't know about you, but I can be tempted to be discouraged when I read a text like this. Because I look at my own life, and he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the flesh. And I think, okay, well, apparently, I don't walk by the Spirit very much. And then I continue to read, and it says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I think, well, crap. Right? So what hope do we have to live this way? I don't know about you, but that's what I need. And the answer is to continue with Christ. Yes, amen. Galatians 5, 24 through 26 tells us this. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, in Galatians 6, 1 through 2, which is going to take us a little bit to get there because I want to come back for the spiritual uh, fruit, right? He says this in 1 through 2, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, that's a spirit of the spirit, right? Keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So there is still a law. It's just not the Levitical law. Instead, it's the law of Christ. And so how do we continue with Christ? What does that mean? Well, here's what I want you to understand. Believers belong to Christ. I think sometimes in our, in our churches, it's so unfortunate, we tend to think, look, I just got to get somebody saved, or you got to get somebody saved, or we got to get, we got to get those, we got to get those, if we just get those folks saved, then, then everything's good. And I, and I, and again, I don't know about you, I don't know what your life was like, but I received Christ and then I had no idea what to do. I distinctly remember coming in and, and, and the conversation that I had with the, with the pastor after I received Christ, I came in and I said, I don't know any Christians. I don't know what it means to be a Christian. I mean, I, I've got eyes. I can read the Bible, but, that, but, but, but then what? And what do I do with all this weird stuff in there that I do with it? Like, how, what am I supposed to do here? And he says, okay, well, why don't we have somebody come and, and disciple you? And I said, I don't know what that means. And maybe, if we're honest, maybe you don't know what that means. What does it mean to truly be a disciple or to make disciples? Did you know Jesus said, go and make disciples? So I guess this is part of it too. Are you actually, if you're a Christian, are you making disciples? Do you know how to make them? 
What we need to understand is believers belong to Christ. What that means is the same gospel that, you, that saved you, if you are saved by that gospel, if you put your hope and your trust in that, the same gospel is the gospel then also that preserves you, that protects you, that educates you, that sanctifies you, that we never really graduate beyond Christ. That's why Paul said, I preach Christ and him crucified. Not just because he was an evangelist, although he was, but because he understood that's where it all is. Remember what the scripture said? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh in its passions. We belong to Christ. Second thing he, that's implied here and that scripture would meet out for us is that believers possess the spirit. We have been given the spirit. That's why he says, if we live by the spirit, let's keep walking the spirit. But I say walk by the spirit. This is why he says these things. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Even if I walk like this, even if my walk is like this, can you imagine standing behind me in a line <laughs> if that was it? It's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. And how long has it taken me to get from wherever I was to right here? Like way longer than it should have, right? Is anyone else annoyed by this yet? So that might be your walk. But if you belong to Christ and if you possess the Spirit, then you're making progress. And I hope that's an encouragement to you this morning. I think a lot of times when we come to church, we, we, we put on our happy face. People ask us how things are going. And we're like, oh, it's, it, things are going good. And really inside, like there's some kind of sadness. There's some kind of sorrow. There's some kind of, we were wounded this week. We sinned against somebody this week. And we have yet to make a short account with that, maybe. Or maybe even, if we're honest, maybe it's even somebody in this room, somebody in the family of believers that has hurt us. How do we deal with that? How do we come back to that? You see, we need to continue with Christ. We need to follow after him. He is the one who does all these things. It's through him that we have these love, this peace, this patience, all these things. And also, that's why we need one another. Believers practice this piety together. That's why he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore that, per that person in a spirit of gentleness. I got news for you. If we have the spirit, every single one of us is spiritual. Now, if you are living in rebellion, remember, take the plank out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in the brother's eye. But So what hope do we have to live this way? Man, you have every single hope that there is because you have every gift that Christ can give you. He's given you all of himself. Do you know the Holy Spirit is Christ's spirit living in you? That's the helper. Now, don't ask me to explain that because now you're asking me to explain the Trinity and I can't, I can't wrap my measly little finite mind around that if, I, if I'm honest with you. But scripture is very clear. It says, you know, the father sent the son. The son then took the sin away from us. He, he gave us the victory and he said, now it's better for me to leave, which I can't relate to that either. If I was a, if I was a uh, disciple back then, it's like, why, this, it can't be better for you to leave. And the reason it's better for him to leave is now then... He's able to then release the Holy Spirit out into... So now instead of just meeting with 12 men, he can now meet with, I don't know, however many people are in this room, and then multiply that by whatever churches are here in Allegan for all those who are actually believers, and then multiply that by whatever churches are here in this state and in this uh, nation. I lost my geography for a moment. And then the world, right? I mean, that's the point that I'm, that I'm getting at with that. And so this text should not be 
scary to you? How do we practice and maintain this freedom? Walk by the Spirit. How do I know if I'm walking by the Spirit or by the flesh? Evaluate the evidence. And what hope is there? Stop trying so much harder and instead just allow Christ to live through you. Now that's the one part. The other part is this, and I need to be real with you. What it looks like to crucify the flesh, what it looks like to walk by the Spirit is every single day grabbing that old nature, wrestling that old nature, that that new John in Christ has to wake up every morning and wrestle that old filthy John who wants to do the things that John wants to do and it's not the things that God wants to do. I have to wrestle that old John to the floor, drag him back to the cross, hold his arms up and nail and nail him to the cross so he can be crucified with Christ and only then is the Spirit able to live through me. And so this is where we get into this weird how Christianity works. Because this scripture tells us if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the flesh. But we're also told, you know, we will not have perfection until Christ comes. So there's two things. How do we practice and maintain this? We have to walk by the Spirit. We know that if we evaluate the evidence. And then lastly, the hope that we have is by continuing with Christ, our good shepherd, who says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Who says, knock and the door will be opened. Who says, seek and you will find. Who says, I won't leave you or forsake you. I will come to you. I won't leave you as orphans. Who says, it is finished on the cross. Who says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, these things will happen in you. Who told his, his, his apostles, his disciples, when I leave, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and the things that I do, you're going to do even greater things than these. And we can't imagine that, but I hope that that gives you great encouragement this morning, that when we belong to Christ, and we possess the Spirit, and we practice this piety together, that is the hope that we need. That is the hope that we have in Christ to then have dominance over our flesh and live by the Spirit and bring glory to God and actually have a life that is worth living. So that is the challenge I have for you. That's the challenge he has for me. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit so that we, we, so that we may walk by that power. We ask that you would grant us to be rich in the works of the Spirit and poor in the works of the flesh. Help us to continuously crucify our sinful flesh with its desires by the power and the resurrected Christ. God, I thank you that you have given us your body, the body of believers, who can at the proper time both rebuke and encourage I thank you that we're not in this alone and that we can be honest with one another because there is no sin that has plagued man by which you are not familiar with. We praise you, Lord, that you have given us your spirit that we might walk in it. We thank you that you've given us a measuring rod to evaluate that evidence. And we thank you that that same Christ who saved us originally is the same Christ who walks with us and helps us to be sanctified as we have these two natures It's in your name that we thank you and we pray for this to be the case. Amen. Let's stand.